Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And with me today is Jeff Foote. And I'm um, very much looking forward to talking to him about a subject close to my own heart and um, really important in this day and age. So, hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. And where in the world are you today? I am in Massachusetts, the USA. Fantastic. So, good weather over there? No. Hey, <laughs> excellent. I think we're getting all your cast-off weather at the moment. So, you know, we know, what you, we know how you're suffering. Yeah. <laughs> good. Well, Jeff... Um, Thank you so much for spending time with us today. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a clinical psychologist uh, here in the U.S. Um, and I've been uh, involved with addiction treatment and program development and research for 30 plus years. Um, uh, run a couple of treatment centers here and a, uh, and a foundation for essentially for families of people struggling with substances. Um, and... I've done a number of other things. I've been a sports psychologist here in the U.S. for sports teams and so forth, yeah. which is it's always an interesting overlap with that and helping people change in terms of substance issues. Um, um, and uh, we've written a couple books over the years for families, partly with the intention of uh, amplifying some of this message about evidence-based approaches, which families never hear about, um, come to find out uh, when it relates to helping their loved ones with substance issues. So yeah, that, that's what I've been doing. Cool. And is your work mostly based around families, or is it is it applicable to all? You know, it hasn't been for for probably the first twenty five years of my career, um, and I say that with some amount of shame. Um, uh, I think I, along with many many clinicians, tend to um, uh, downplay the role or the involvement of families um, when it comes to mental health issues. Um, and to people's psychological struggles. And <clears throat> so I, I have certainly been guilty of, in the first two thirds of my career, just really ignoring families. Uh, that might be a little strong, but but essentially working with the, with the person struggling directly. Um, and that's been, uh, that was where my focus was. Um, in the last 10 years, I was invited in to do some training with some organizations that were really geared towards helping families. Um, and, sort of have a pivotal um, experience of talking to 15 parents um, as I was about to start a training with them. They were they were all coming to be trained to coach other parents. 
Right. Uh, so their kids had been through terrible substance issues and they wanted to um, they wanted to learn how to help other parents get through this process. And they wanted evidence-based ideas instead of the nonsense that they had been told or harmful things they had been told for years and years. Uh, and it was really that series of, of interviews uh, that I was doing. Um, they kind of took my breath away and kind of changed my whole world uh, view around this, um, realizing um, a lot of things, including the unbelievable pain that families go through, including the huge level of motivation they have to help, um, including an understanding of the huge resource families are in helping produce change, uh, and including the kind of the awareness that we have treated them poorly um, and we kick them to the curb, so to speak. Um, not only don't give them helpful tools, but treat them disrespectfully, uh, uh, give them a sense that they're part of the problem and not part of the solution. Um, uh, and it's injurious and it's pretty terrible actually. So mm. that, that really changed me. Um, and, uh, so we have spent the last 10 years really shifting focus to how do we get these tools to families? How do we make this stuff accessible? How do we give them things that they can work with that are not, you know, on some, some academic journal on some shelf somewhere written in language that they can't actually understand and hand tools over and say, you can do this and you can do this yourself. You can do this in your community. You don't need me. You don't need professionals. You can actually um, take this up and be effective and, and help, which is what families want. Yes. So, so, so just to check, I've got this uh, ingrained in the right place. You're yeah. helping families help themselves or you're helping families helping the, the person dealing with the substance abuse. Both of those. Um, so the the messaging and and this is there there are some uniquely uh, uh, U.S. centric cultural messaging um, problems. So the U.S. has has historically been a very blaming society mm. when it comes to substance use issues. Uh, unlike um, Europe um, and other other regions, um, the U.S. has a pretty puritanical view of addiction over the years. It's changed some, but it's still there. Um, and um, one of those messages has always been, you need to detach. Um, if your loved one, husband, mom, child is struggling with substances, you need to detach and step away and take care of yourself. This is sort of the under the heading of the uh, otherwise known as the tough love idea. Um, you need to let people hit rock bottom before they'll change. A bunch of ideas that were really just basically ideological in nature and had nothing to do with the evidence. Um, uh, and nothing to do with effectiveness. So that when you talk to that families about that kind of approach, um, it's heartbreaking. You know, they 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 come for help, desperate, scared, as well they should be, uh, and are given very black and white answers. Um, and that is reassuring when you're desperate and scared, um, and it's incorrect. <laughs> Yes. So, um, so, um, so, so, leaping in again, if I may. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess most people think about the twelve-step program as mm -hmm. uh, the sort of almost the only solution to addiction. Um, yeah. Are you are you discussing another approach, or um, what's your yes. position on that? Yeah. So you know, I don't really have a position on twelve-step uh, fellowship work. Um, it's ubiquitous around the globe. Um, it's been here with us for 70 years um, as an approach that started in the US. Um, 
and um, it's helped millions of people. Um, it's helped many, many families. Uh, and the one of the sort of overarching structural problems is that there's a sense that it has to help you and one size fits all. Right. And if, if this doesn't help you, it's on you. It's your problem that it's not helping you. Yeah. There must be something wrong with you, not with some of the ideology and some of the ideas. That's just inherently a problem yeah. <laughs> about any set of tools that anyone could use that they, if they don't work for you, it must be your fault. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, 12 step fellowship has been helpful for people struggling. It's been helpful for families. It's been harmful for people struggling. It's been harmful for families. It's across the entire spectrum. Um, and, and it's the, it's the idea that it has to be your approach. That's, that's harmful actually. Um, yeah. So that, that there's sort of a demand characteristic around that that's not so helpful as opposed to an invitational characteristic around it, uh, which literally the approach that we have um, been developing over the last 10 years, which I can comment and talk about, obviously, but it's um, called the invitation to change. Yeah. Um, and, and therein lies a large part of the difference. Um, it's an invitational idea um, as opposed to a, a command idea. So and, does this does this pres presume that the family has instigated the, the approach, or the the um, the addict themselves has started started here? Uh, so this is an approach that came from um, started with um, community reinforcement and family training, an approach called CRAFT about twenty five years ago, right. uh, which is and probably our most powerful evidence based approach for helping families um, to help loved ones. Um, so before that, there was the idea of letting go, detaching, uh, or confrontational interventionist kind of approaches. So those were the two poles. You either bust in, bust down the door, make them do stuff that you want them to do and get them to knock it off, uh, or you detach and let them hit bottom and so forth. And everything we know about change from craft, from many other psychological approaches is um, you can actually take care of yourself and stay connected to them. And that's actually the most powerful way to help somebody change. Right. So it's not either or. Um, <clears throat> and this is an approach, this is a helping model. So this is a way to help whoever the helper is do that better. And the helper we have focused on initially um, in an organic way is families, but we now do trainings around the country for professionals. Yeah. because it is a helping model. So it's a set of understandings and tools that are helpful to anybody who's in that role, not just a family member. Again, we started with the basic idea of we want families to be able to have tools that they can access. Um, and and it grew into a model that's just a helping model in general. Right. So is, so is part of the model helping the family to help themselves as well as to help the model uh, to help them help the person going through the Correct. withdrawal or um, remedication or something. So, so it, I mean, I'm looking at the model uh, on your website at the moment, uh, and it starts with you know, a very common thing, which is understanding, sorry, awareness, understanding, and action. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, again, is this awareness of themselves or awareness of the problem that might be afflicting the other person? Or, or right. Both? So, right. So that what you're looking at is that, uh, that wheel or circle that we developed as a way to display the ideas. Um, for many reasons. One is to have it be a visual image that people can remember. Um, the other is that as you start to learn these different aspects of that wheel um, and go around that wheel, you realize that they are they are made more powerful by learning one piece of it and integrating it with another piece. Yeah. So uh, as you were noting, there's, you know, there's sort of, there's nine parts of that wheel, um, but there's 
three major sections. There's helping with understanding, there's helping with awareness, and there's helping with action. Yeah. So the foundational parts of that, everyone wants to jump into action. Give me communication skills. Give me some way to talk them into it. You know, help me learn how to set limits. Um, all of those are really useful tools. All of those, you could go to a do a bookshop and buy, you know, cognitive behavioral therapies for change about any topic, and they would all be there. Communication and reinforcement strategies. What what is different here is can you become uh, can you start to have an understanding of what that person you are trying to help is going through? Can you shift your perspective and actually understand it? Yes. And can you start to have an awareness of yourself in a variety of different ways, which we can discuss? And, and I guess one of the the things that really uh, many of the words are sort of common sense words, but one of the things yeah. that is on this, which I think is quite powerful actually, is that behaviors make sense, which is open the door to change by viewing your loved one's substance use through a new lens. And I, I think that's pretty powerful. So I wonder if you could just unpack, because we're going to unpack the whole model. So yeah. that seems to be possibly one of the most important ones to, to yes. not necessarily the thing you would think you might want to start with, but it seems as a therapist myself, thinking that that is the thing that you probably need to start with. Correct. So how is that, and how is that a, achieved? And it is actually where we start um, yeah. because, oh, good. as you said, it is actually the most foundational piece of this entire model. And it's what differentiates it from other things like craft and other approaches for helping, um, <clears throat> which is, can you step into their shoes? Um, and, and the basic foundational idea that people do things because it's reinforcing. People do act and, and um, do behaviors because there's something in it for them. So we, we use the metaphor of hot stove. If using substances was like putting your hand on a hot stove, we would not be, we would not have a foundation. We would not have written a book about how to help yeah. substance issues would not occur. Um, it's that substances are very reinforcing and they're reinforcing in very, very different ways for different people. So that's an important part of it about one size doesn't fit all. But if you just start with the basic idea that that so one of, one of the things we do uh, one of the exercises we do right out of the box um, is make a list of things that you know if I told you that I could help you um, sleep better uh, be in less pain be funny feel connected to other human beings want to get out of bed in the morning um, you know be the life of the party uh, feel less social anxiety uh, enjoy your sex life more would you want those things. Mm. And the answer, of course, is yes. Mm. The next question is, is there anything on that list that's weird or like that you think you shouldn't want or that you would look down on someone else for wanting? And there's mm. nothing on the list. They're basic human desires and needs. Yeah. Um, and then you switch to, so if I told you that the thing I was going to do for you was give you a substance that would allow all that, and it's called alcohol or it's called heroin, what happens now in our thoughts? Do we Does it change actually the basic acceptability of what the need is? No, it doesn't. The, the, and those are the needs that are getting fulfilled. Yeah. Um, and for a family member to sort of sit back and understand that my loved one is doing this not to get me, not because they're morally reprehensible, not because they're a lazy ass, not because of any of those things. But they're doing it because it makes sense to them in a probably quite powerful ways, probably multiple ways. And, and it really creates an entire different, entirely different atmosphere and, and relationship, which is I'm, I'm not 
I, I'm still scared by what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing. I don't agree with it. All that can still be true, but I can actually understand it now yeah. and say, okay, you're a human being like I am. And these things mean something to you. So I don't need to denigrate that and denigrate you as a person for wanting those things. And that as a foundation changes everything, really. It, um, it, it, it's the difference between what you're doing makes me want to turn away and what you're doing makes me want to turn towards you. Yeah. Um, uh, we, I'll give another example. We have a, a training video that we use. It's a very brief, you know, three or four minute video of a guy running in the road, running down the road in the middle of traffic mm. and sort of ask people, what's your response to that guy? And people sort of uniformly say, ah, it's scary. I want to get out of there. I don't want to see him get hit by a car. He must be crazy. He's must be, he might be violent. Who knows? And it's all sort of like, get away, get away responses. Occasionally you have people go, I want to help the guy, but most of the people are, are scared and want to yeah. get away. Then we say, so now, actually, the background is this guy was driving. He stopped at a traffic light and his dog, cute little dog, jumped out of the car and is running in the busy road. Mm. And he's frantically trying to save his dog's life and not watch his dog get hit by a car. Mm. Now, how do you feel? Now, what do you think? Now, what do you want to do? What is your action desire for that guy? Oh, I want to stop my car and help him. Oh, I want to stop other cars so that don't, the dog doesn't get hurt. Oh, the poor guy. Yeah. I want to call for help. Okay, so that's an entirely different response. Nothing has changed except for my understanding of their motivation. Yeah, so you think context is king here. Uh, and you're also talking about the individual context and and their sort of perception of the world in which they're operating in. Does this, does this work as well for things like gambling as it does for a particular substance abuse? Because the... Uh, I've talked to both um, practitioners on this on this sort of podcast many times. Sure. I'm interested in your own view on that. Um, sure. So what we're talking about, again, is the helper. Yes, of course. And so my understanding of your behavior is only going to enhance my ability to help you. Yes. Uh, and my use of these tools is only going to be enhanced um, by knowing that. So the fact that it happens to be gambling versus drinking Again, it could be it could be that you have OCD, yeah. and I'm trying to help with that, um, or that you're incred incredibly ambivalent about doing anything with your life, and I'm trying to be a helpful, helpful support in that arena. Mm. These are all just about behavior change, uh, and how can I, as a person on the outside, help facilitate that and help stay engaged by staying engaged and helping you. Yeah. So the topic of their change process is not necessarily the driving part of this. Understood. Understood. Um, interesting. Um, it's, it seems commonsensical to have thought about the family because often, certainly in the therapy world, I often find it's families at home who out the person, who actually work with them to give them the confidence or skills or awareness to actually approach someone for help in the first place. But, yeah. but it is interesting, as you as you were talking earlier, that I don't think we've ever seen it as a holistic process. I do think we, we tend to treat it on its own, don't we? And so we we negate the people who are, strangely enough, sometimes with the big, the most vested interest in helping the person get better. Is, most is this... vested and expert yes. in that person. Yes. I just wonder if this is a cultural thing. I know, no, I don't mean cultural thing. I wonder if this is just a, um, well, I wonder what's at the root of that, I suppose, that that's dealing with the practice, dealing with the patient, as it were. 
rather than the family. Do you think it's because we've sort of over-medicalized the idea or treatment of um, addiction? Well, I mean, the person who's struggling with the substances is the one who's displaying behaviors that are that are not liked by the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're they're the bur- the brightest burning light. Certainly, um, they're the one who is is banging around in the world in a way that's not acceptable often to other people. Yeah. So, I mean, there's sort of a natural pull, uh, clearly, to do that. And and the tricky part is that then when we involve the family, the way we have involved them is in a blaming sort of way. I mean, there's all kinds of studies um, about about family support and family help um, and the barriers to that, which are not. I mean, there's certainly practical economic insurance, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But the larger ones actually are stigma. And that when I, as a family member, are invited in or step into this change process vis-a-vis the treatment system, I get blamed. Yeah. Um, I don't get... You see. Why didn't you see what was going on earlier? That sort of thing. Correct. And I feel it in the culture. I feel it in my my neighborhood. My kid is a heroin addict. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talk sometimes about like if my child had had leukemia yes, um, and I didn't have the funds to get treatment. I, I, I might do a bake sale, a proverbial bake sale, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and ask the neighbors for support. If my child needs to go to rehab, I, I'm not going to walk up and down the block saying, you know, my, my kid is struggling with substance issues. Yeah. <laughs> um, would that be something you could help us with? Yeah. Because I'm too ashamed because yeah. I'm going to feel blamed, you know? And I'm guessing, and I'm guessing here, the, the biggest cost is actually on the family, especially on spouses. Because actually, and and kids obviously um, probably more significantly over time, because yeah. actually it rips the family fabric of trust and um, safety apart. So, is is part of your process um, either building it without that addict, or how you re-engage with the the person experiencing the substance abuse? How you re-engage? Door number two. Um, <laughs> the, um, because the and, and again, that's going to be different for different families um, and what their values are. But most families are really quite invested in staying connected, in being loving, in bringing the values of safety, connection, respect, collaboration into their family unit that might, as you said, have gotten bashed around some by by this kind of behavior that's related to the substance use. Um, And these are tools. We we often talk about this as science and kindness um, and how science and kindness help people change um, (laughs) because... There are a number of strategies, there are a number of understandings that are that are, you know, um, data related, that are research trial concepts that have proven to be quite powerful. Um, but without the kindness piece, one, the uptake by families is much less. Yeah. Uh, and two, the effectiveness is much less. Turns out that kindness is actually an evidence based strategy as well. Yes. <laughs> just, think... just for the purposes of those who are hearing you use that phrase who may not be. Um... Yeah. Uh, uh, the medically or academically qualified. What do you, what do you mean by evidence based? Right. So evidence based um, essentially means if you if you compare apples to apples in terms of an approach to anything, could be uh, to helping people change substance issues, um, but the, it could be anything. Um, how do we how do we decide which one is more effective? Yeah. Um, so you set up a a comparison where you sort of keep everything equal and um, and try to look at the difference between version A and version B um, in terms of helping, in terms of tools we use. Yeah. And, you know, you could you could set up a trial for hammers versus screwdrivers if you wanted to about how to how to 
uh, you know, get wood to stick to a wall. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really matter. It's just comparing this one A and this one B and, and which one produces a better outcome. So yes. in trials, in research trials, that's what you're typically doing um, in various ways. Yeah. So you're, talking about, you're talking about research data and facts rather than opinions, hyperbole and hope. Correct. Um, and you, you really want to give people tools that have been proven um, to be effective, not just ones that I think are a good idea. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes the challenge when you work in our world, isn't it? The the evidence base doesn't always support our view. And it's the challenge of a lot of evidence-based research, of course, that is sponsored by people who, who are paying for the result they want to hear. So so people coming to look at your site will immediately notice that it's proper evidence-based research with proper research sitting behind it. So that's an important thing. So you've written this book called... Um, the Beyond Addiction Workbook for Family and Friends Evidence-Based Skills to Help a Loved One Make Positive Change, which is a snappy title. Um, <laughs> um, who's it written for, would you say? Uh, it's written for helpers. Um, so, you know, as I said, we, we really started with families, and that's been a process over the last 10 years. We started with CRAFT, the Community Reinforcement Approach, training families. Yeah. And then what we noticed, and this was really a very intense iterative process with families which is we would do trainings and we would go we would come back and we would say what what didn't work there or what was not helpful enough or what yes. other tools were missing from that uh, and we would ask people for, in those trainings or what what do you need more of um, what about the training process do you need to change but what are the tools themselves that make sense and don't make sense to you yeah. um, so that was a process that then led us to incorporate several other evidence-based um, approaches into this, ultimately into this invitation to change model. Yeah. Uh, so we started with craft. We ended up adding in motivational interviewing for a set of communication strategies for an understanding of collaboration, mm -hmm. uh, and then added in um, ACT, something called acceptance yeah. and commitment therapy, um, which is, as you mentioned, the word context earlier, is really an approach... Um, that in the case of the invitation to change, what what ACT brought to the table for us that we wanted to incorporate is, is the concept of willingness. Um, and as a family member and as a helper, um, essentially being a helper to someone who is struggling in this way is painful. Yeah. It's a very difficult process. And are you are you willing to to change your relationship to discomfort and pain? Because as a family member, um, I'm trying to hang in there with my kid who's lying to me, who's doing dangerous things, who I don't know how to help, who I'm really frustrated by, who I feel betrayed by. Yeah. Am I willing to sort of bring bring myself to this process in new ways, think about this in new ways, and still suffer the pain of this, and yes. still be uncomfortable, and not go into a black and white, get the pain out of here, can't we just reset and go back to how things used to be? Can't I just send you away to wilderness camp or rehab and get you all fixed up and come back and I won't have to be in pain anymore? Yeah. And that's a that's a human desire. Get rid of the pain. Yeah. And one of the things in the, the awareness section of this approach as a helper is can I change my relationship to that impulse, to pain? Can I understand that if I'm going to stay connected and be aware of myself and follow and bring my values about who I want to show up as? as a helper, yeah. it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really another foundational part of this whole idea that is different than just, can I use some new communication skills and, and set better limits? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I can do all that. If I'm not aware of myself, if I'm reactive to my own pain in very, very black and white ways, mm-hmm. where I just want to shut this damn process down, I want to get you to stop this behavior, which is, again, a very natural pull. If I keep doing that stuff, reacting to my pain that way by getting rid of it, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be repeatedly making choices that are not going to be so helpful. And if I can learn to hit the pause button and take a breath and go, I'm scared. I'm in a lot of pain. How do I want to show up anyway? Literally, like, do I want to scream at my loved one or do I want to take a breath and realize that that's not going to be so useful, even though I feel that way? And can I take a different approach right at this moment? That's the power of that tool of willingness. I'm willing to allow for the discomfort here. And that that really comes from ACT, from acceptance and commitment therapy as as a as an element of the invitation to change. I've always been a fan of ACT and I think it's been massively undervalued almost is that things like cbt and it's just like it taken over from it or rebt or something yeah. um it almost got left on the on the sidelines you think most problems are about self-acceptance aren't they just you know just dealing with yourself as you are and accepting other people yeah. absolutely fascinating and um, so tell us where we can get hold of this and you better just go, run over that title again for me if you would uh sure the beyond addiction workbook for family and friends um it's published by new harbinger um so we have it on our website as well yeah um, which is uh cmcffc.org uh uh center for motivation and change foundation for change.org so cmcffc.org uh and that's um you can link to the to the new harbinger website there to get that book yeah um, good it was a follow-up to uh, a book we published about eight years ago called called Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Can Help People Change. Um, And that was a much broader-based discussion of substance issues, motivation, uh, the change process, uh, and tools for that. Um, This this workbook, the Beyond Addiction workbook, um, is much more specific to this this model, the invitation to change model, which we had not actually developed fully at that point eight years ago. And it's been this work with families now for the last 10 years that's led to the invitation to change into this new book. So brilliant. So I'm just looking at it and uh, I'm just downloading it as we speak, actually. So it looks like an invaluable aid for therapists. So thank you. That's always great for my professional development. But as you say, it's great for families as well. So and I'm hoping I want to open it up and find all sorts of useful things as well. Looking at the reviews, they seem to be saying that. So um, it's also, I mean, it's also, again, the part of this, of this whole approach for us has been to um, have it be something that's accessible. Um, and we, our foundation mostly focuses on training people who want to bring this to their communities. Yeah. Um, and sort of, in some way, actually bypass, I mean, our intent is not to exclude professionals. But really, um, as professionals, we have not done very great service towards families in this arena. Um, And it's sort of like to go directly to families and say, you can bring this to your family, you can bring this to your community. So most of our training is around uh, family members and lay people. And how do you take these tools? We have a whole another workbook um, uh, just based on uh, how to how to do these, uh, uh, how to run these meetings and how to do these sessions in a community setting. Yeah, um, and uh, how to do that as a layperson. So a lot of these materials are free, downloadable, free materials and so forth um, yeah. so that it's accessible to people. 
Fantastic. Well, I'm all for d- the dem- democratization of therapy because I think it's been held in the hands of ex- supposed experts for too long. And yeah. given the amount of mental health issues we have, it's clearly a model that doesn't work. So I'm uh, very keen on it, on being part of the community. I think it's it's not just the family, it's wider communities as well. And like you said, it's it's the idea of neighborhoods and such like it's uh, if you have a stigma in the neighborhood, it's just as bad as the family. And you know your idea, your your whole resilience um, as a basis of all these discussions. It, it this is resilience. This is yeah. how do I how do I bring myself to this process in a way that's sustainable? Yeah. You know the 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 older model around family members' involvement was, you know, an intervention model. How do we get this person who's struggling with substances to do something different, yes. and then we're done. Yes. We're out of here. You know, that's it. yeah. and that's a, It's a terrible model, and it's, it's non-sustainable. It's non-resilience building. Um, and this is a model that says, look, can you understand them? And then can you understand yourself and be yeah. aware of yourself and 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 start to live a life that's truer to your values, <clears throat> not a reactive life every second. Yes. Which is which is a lot of work. But but ultimately living a life that's more true to my own values is kind of a central part of resilience. Yeah, you're right. It's it's great. As I said, I bought it. I encourage everybody else to get out and do that. Um, if you want to access Jeff's um, uh, w- website, it's cmcffc.org, which takes you to a very comprehensive website and it actually shows quite a lot of evidence, which is great. And uh, and the book ago again is Beyond Addiction: Workbook for Family and Friends, Evidence Based Skills How the Love Want Make Positive Change. Jeff, it's been a delight to talk to you today. Thank you so much for spending time and giving us a broad introduction to the subject. I mean, maybe you'd gift us some more time in the future to come back and maybe unpack this in a bit more depth because I think um, I think that would be quite uh, fascinating if that's something you're interested in. Be happy to. Great. My pleasure. Well, you take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.